What is good, everybody? Welcome to episode 57 of Defenders of the Bank. Of course, many of you saw the Instagram post from last night as we tried to record. We are recording almost live from beautiful Burbank, California at world-famous Philomonster Studios. I am the scarf, J.R. Liebert, joining me in studio today while Philly and Panda bask on the pristine beaches of Cartagena, Colombia, is Nina. Some of you know her as Scarfette. I prefer LAFC Nina, and everyone should know her as one of the hosts of the newest podcast on the planet, covering women's soccer in the United States, Center Mid Chicks. Welcome back to Defenders of the Bank, Nina. Thanks. Glad to be here with you today. Mostly, I think I'm glad to be here with Schmitty, though. Yeah, Schmitty is a pretty rad cat. Of course, Schmitty holding down the fort here at Philomonster Studios while Panda and Philly are away. You know, hopefully everybody is aware that the month of September in Major League Soccer is kick childhood cancer month. And before we talk about any of Major League Soccer or the Defenders' plans, For Kick Childhood Cancer Month, Defenders of the Bank would like to extend our most sincere condolences to the family of Joseph Sanchez. Joseph was a guest of LAFC for a game earlier this season, and I was actually lucky enough to spend a few minutes with Joseph and his family on the field before the match, courtesy of Alina Barrow of the LAFC Foundation, and present him with a Golasso scarf. Unfortunately, Joseph lost his battle with cancer this August and the entire black and gold family keep his family in our prayers. Rest in peace, little man. We certainly were touched by your time with the organization. Just simply awful, and one of the reasons why all of us here at Defenders of the Bank are so passionate about Major League Soccer's Kick Childhood Cancer initiative every September. Last September was really when my scarf collection got going as last year's Kick Childhood Cancer fundraiser was centered around taking pictures with your scarves with the hashtag Kick Childhood Cancer. But this year, Major League Soccer has made it even simpler to raise money to help eradicate this awful disease. The best part of this whole fundraiser is that you never have to actually reach into your own pocket and give money. You can donate without actually donating any money of your own. Major League Soccer will donate $1 for every post on social media that includes the hashtag KickChildhoodCancer. It does not matter what you post. Did you go to the new Beverly Hills 90210-themed Peach Pit pop-up? That was a fun alliteration. (laughs) Yeah. Apparently, it's really disappointing out there, by the way. We saw a couple of LAFC fans post on their Facebook pages and things like that that it was pretty disappointing. Well, if you went there and you were super disappointed, if you want to make it a better experience, just include the hashtag KickChildhoodCancer when you post and you'll donate a dollar. Did you try a new taco stand downtown? Post about it, but use the hashtag KickChildhoodCancer childhood cancer did you come up with a clever anti-carson meme that you want to share with everybody on facebook instagram twitter wherever it might be just use the hashtag kick childhood cancer and not only will you have a clever dig at carson but you'll also donate a dollar to the kick childhood cancer fundraiser no matter how many times you post no matter what you post no matter when you post in the month of september as long as you include the hashtag Kick Childhood Cancer, all one word, you've helped donate to Major League Soccer's fundraiser for the Children's Oncology Group Foundation. 
And in case you wanted to make a separate donation yourself, you can also go to networkforgood.com. That's all one word, networkforgood.com, and make a donation there. Now, we here at Defenders of the Bank will also have two other ways that you can help donate to this incredibly worthy cause. LAFC's official Kick Childhood Cancer Night is coming up on Saturday, September 21st. That, by the way, is the return of our former captain, the General Laurent Simon. So I know a lot of you will be there, ready to cheer on one of our former captains, at least, during the pregame introductions. Then, of course, he's wearing the other team's colors, so not so much after that. But during our pregame tailgate at the Defenders of the Bank Canopy, we will be selling a special yellow version of our logo pin. Now, these pins will be $10 each instead of our normal $5 pins. And the reason why is that $5 from every pin sold will be donated to the Children's Oncology Group Foundation, the very same charity that Major League Soccer is donating their money to during the Kick Childhood cancer campaign. The second way that Defenders is going to be raising money for the Children's Oncology Group Foundation, it's going to be kind of fun. A lot of you don't know this about me. This is the scarf here talking, but I actually have a pretty extensive collection of baseball cards and some other stuff from back when I was a little bit younger. My father and I actually used to help run a baseball card store down in Torrance. It was called K&M Sports Cards. So if any of you used to go in there, that was my dad and I that ran it after we bought it from the guys, K&M, Kevin and Mike, we bought it from them and we ran it for a few years until we closed it in the early 2000s. So I've got kind of an extensive collection of baseball cards. Well, two years ago, Tops, that same card company that we all started collecting baseball cards, basketball cards, football cards from, they also make Major League Soccer cards. And I've made a pretty extensive collection together between the last couple of years and they've made cards of almost all of our favorite players. Carlos Vela, Diego Rossi, Adama Diamande, Latif Blessing, Ero Tuesta, Walker Zimmerman. There's even a card from the draft that shows Tristan Blackman, Joao Moutinho, and Bob Bradley on the same card, which is kind of cool. I have hundreds of LAFC single cards, and I have decided to do something kind of fun with this. We are going to be selling the cards at our table at the next tailgate on September 21st. The cards will be anywhere from $1 each to $5 each, and 100% of the money raised will also go directly to the Children's Oncology Group Foundation. So it's going to be kind of fun. You'll have something that you'll be able to get your favorite players to sign, and it'll all be going towards a great cause. Those are the two different ways that Defenders will be helping to raise money for the Children's Oncology Group Foundation. We'll have our yellow pins. They'll be on sale for a $10 donation, and then we'll have the cards, and it'll be donation-based, anything from a dollar to $5, depending on what the card is. And again, 100% of that is going towards the Children's Oncology group foundation. So let's get into the rest of the episode calendar for this episode, episode 57. We'll be talking about some LAFC news and notes. We'll be doing the first of three very short recaps on the episode. The first will be an open cup recap, the final between Atlanta and the very same Minnesota United that we played yesterday. We'll get through a very quick this day in LAFC history. And of course, 
We'll get to a recap of the Minnesota United versus LAFC, including our wait what what moment of the podcast. We'll give you a very, very quick update on LAFC chasing history and a just as quick update on the supporters shield. And then we're bringing back a segment that we've had every now and then in the past. It's called scheduling with the scarf because after this game, just six games remain. So we are going to do a little update on scheduling with the scarf. So with that said, we are here on a warm day in Burbank, California. It is time to move on to LAFC news and notes. And like I said, there is a bunch to get to first. LAFC fans gathered at LAX on Friday to welcome our newest signing and our third designated player on the roster, 20-year-old left back Chiqui Diego Palacios from Ecuador. It was really cool to be there to welcome a player for the first time. I know, unfortunately, Nina, you couldn't make it out there to the airport no, that day. No, I couldn't make it out there with you, but I know you told me you were running around the airport trying to meet his plane. Yeah, it was interesting. Their gate changed about a half hour before. A very special thank you to Roxana, who really put a lot of this together. It was my first time being there for a player meeting when they get off the plane. That was pretty cool. I was stoked to see Fern from Expos there, Johnny from the Tunnel Snakes, of course, Roxana from 90 Plus, as well as a good handful of D9U members making Diego feel welcome. You know, we're certainly hoping that Diego can make an impact on this team and get up to speed in time for our run to the MLS Cup. However, we might have to wait a while to see Cheeky make his debut. In fact, LAFC may need to hold some open tryouts to field a full roster for the game at Orlando (laughs) on September 7th. LAFC will have an unbelievable six different players playing for their respective country's national teams in the coming weeks, which will make for a very thin roster for the game at Orlando. Brian Rodriguez for Uruguay, Diego Palacios for Ecuador, Mark Anthony Kay of Canada, Peter Lee Vassell for Jamaica, Walker Zimmerman for the United States, and Edward Atuesta for the Colombian under-23 national team will all potentially miss the match against Orlando. Which is crazy because it's six players in six different countries represented for their national teams. I think that's just an incredible stat for us. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's pretty cool. We could potentially have had even more if Ghana would have been playing, you know, Latif Blessing would have been called up. If Carlos Vela was still playing for El Tree, he likely would have been called up. But, you know, you couple this with the potential of Carlos Vela not being 100% for that game with Dejan Jakovic suffering an injury recently at practice and the fact that Latif Blessing and Lee Wynn are our only midfielders who have seen the field this season minus Edward Atuesta and Mark Anthony Kay. And I've got a potentially bold prediction. You guys know that Scarf Stradamus likes to throw some things out there from time to time. <laughs> and the reason why I make this prediction is actually because of something that didn't happen before the Minnesota United game. Before every match, LAFC releases the Kaiser Permanente Injury Report. There was one very notable omission on that report before yesterday's game against Minnesota United. A player that we affectionately refer to as the ghost, Alejandro Guido. I am predicting that we will see Alejandro take the field for the first time in a long while. In fact, if my memory serves me correctly, The last time that we saw Alejandro Guido in black and gold was during the Vissel-Kobe match, which seems like it was about four seasons ago. 
Alejandro Guido plays midfield, and the only two active midfielders that we have on our roster that will be eligible to play in the game against Orlando will be Lee Wynn and Latif Blessing. We need a third midfielder if we are going to keep shape and run a 4-3-3. I know that some of you might want to see Josh Perez at midfield, maybe Adrian Perez at midfield. Not sure how we are going to move things in the middle of the field, but I am predicting that we might see the ghost of Alejandro Guido make his appearance in an MLS regular season game for the first time. But you're also hoping that we see one other player, and I know we've talked about this before, Philly's mentioned it before. There's one other player that we want to see come in in the defense. Yeah, you know, Tucson FC have been hiding a couple of players from us, and we'll talk about those guys in just a second. But one of those is the six foot seven Lamar Batista. I would absolutely love to see Lamar get some minutes there on the back line. Obviously, Walker not playing. Very likely, we'll put Danilo Silva into the starting lineup to take his place. But it would be great to at least see Lamar Batista's name in the 18. I'm also hoping we see a little more from Adrian Perez. I thought we'll get into him in just a little bit, but I thought he showed very well in limited minutes against Minnesota. Look, who knows what will happen for that game, but expect a very, very different roster in Orlando. And more on that again with scheduling with the scarf later on. A quick congratulations to Carlos Vela, named the Major League Soccer 2019 Week 25 Player of the Week. Among his exploits were three goals during the week, including the traffic cone-inducing incredible goal that he scored against San Jose. That was voted Goal of the Week last week. So congrats for the fourth time this season in 25 weeks. Carlos Vela named Player of the Week. Yeah, cheers to that. (laughs) Taking a quick peek at LAFC players loaned out to other leagues, Alicia Rodriguez wrote a great article for Angels on Parade. We want to recap a couple of things that we saw there. We can't help but notice our friend of the podcast, Philip Ejimadu, over at FC Tucson. On Friday, Philip posted his fourth clean sheet of the USL League One season in a one nothing win over Chattanooga. He was helped by, of course, another familiar face on the back line, Lamar Batista, who went the full 90. So we've got two players out there at FC Tucson. Peter Lee Vassell got to join in on the fun in Phoenix for Phoenix Rising. He's played in the last five games for Phoenix, all victories in the midst of their incredible 16-match winning streak. Not unbeaten streak where they can tie a game or two. No, no, no. This is a 16-match win streak that Phoenix Rising is putting forth right now in the USL Championship Division. We thought we were out in front in terms of the Supporter Shield race. Well, Phoenix Rising has absolutely run away with the USL Championship Supporters Shield this season. And it has been a remarkable one. So congratulations to Peter Lee yeah. for getting in on the fun there. Even and, more of a reason for us to plan a trip. We got to get out there. We got to get to Phoenix and we got to get to Tucson. Yeah, that would be a fun trip. I know we've had a couple of our friends in Founders Club letting us know that they're going to be heading out there to Tucson. First of all, by the way, quick shout out to our friend Steve who sits right behind us. Don't worry, Steve. I'm taking very good care of the defenders of the bank scarf you left on your chair as you <laughs> left the game yesterday. You can come get it back from me on the 21st when we get to see Laurent Simon 
once again. Rounding out the notables on loan, Fito Zelaya has now played more minutes in the last two games for Las Vegas Lights FC than he has played all season for the black and gold. Fito getting a little bit more of an extensive run there with Las Vegas Lights. They're in the midst of a tough season, but hopefully Fito getting a little bit of run there. You know, he may also no longer be black and gold, but we at Defenders never shy away from an opportunity to mention one of our favorite nicknames of anyone we have ever had at LAFC. We want to say a very heartfelt congratulations to three umlauts, Nico Hamalainen on his call-up to the under-23 U.S. men's national team. He is playing for a Scottish team right now. Congratulations to Nico on making the U23s. Somebody else that we're going to talk about who's also made the U23s later on in the episode, Mason Toy, who made our lives a little bit difficult against Minnesota. But congratulations to Nico Hamalainen on his call-up to the U23s. And finally, some cool developments out of the LAFC Academy. The U15s are about to kick off their season with some new company. For the first time, LAFC will have a U16-17 team. This will be the first time that an LAFC Academy team will play games that go the full 90. Good luck on the upcoming season, of course, to all of our Academy teams, especially to the U16-17s on their maiden voyage through the Academy games. And now it's time for one of my favorite segments. I think this one is always interesting, and I love that, Jay, you keep up with it. This day in LAFC history. Yeah, it's going to be a quick one in the interest of brevity. We're going to cut our This Day in LAFC history a little shorter today just one on the docket as we have a lot to get to in this Minnesota game last year September 1st 2018 despite being outshot 21 to 14 outpossessed 61 39 and despite giving up a brace to Josie Altador LAFC defeated Toronto FC 4 Two, in what Robin Williams called the loft department over a really great party that is Toronto, Canada. LAFC got a brace of its own from Carlos Vela and other goals from Diego Rossi and Lee Wynn to effectively knock out Toronto of the playoff chase last season. And that is a very quick edition of this day in LAFC history. We also said we would do a quick Open Cup final recap. And here it is. Atlanta United defeated Minnesota United 2-1 to despite being outplayed handily in the second half. Going down to 10 men for the last 20 minutes of the game, Minnesota could not find an equalizer. Robin Ludd, who we're going to talk about a little bit later, he scored the only goal for Minnesota United FC, and they completely dominated the second half but could not find the equalizer. Congratulations to Atlanta for winning another title that we will take from them in a year. And so with that, Nina, we are at the point where it's time to talk about Minnesota versus LAFC, the recap. And unfortunately, we would fall for the very first time this season during an MLS regular season game at Bank of California. Yeah, very depressing, in fact, because I looked back and our official home record in conceding two goals, we still come out 
2-0-0. So two wins, zero losses, zero ties. And it's just really depressing that even though we conceded two goals, we couldn't manage the win. When we concede first, we still won four out of the five games at home. So we had a record of being able to come back from this. And for some reason, you know, we just couldn't find a way. And I think part of that has to do with how Minnesota United lined up. You know, dating back to last season, LAFC had a 20-game unbeaten streak at the bank during regular season MLS matches, and that would come to a crashing halt. Let's talk a little bit about some previous history with these two teams. LAFC welcomed Minnesota United back to Bank of California Stadium for the first of two meetings this month. Minnesota has only been around as an MLS team one year longer than LAFC debuting in 2017. During their first two seasons, they finished near the bottom of the table in the West. And incidentally, their leading scorer over their first two seasons and their franchise's all-time leading scorer is Christian Ramirez, a former member of the Black and Gold that we will see on September 25th as Houston Dynamo return to the bank. Minnesota United are right in the thick of the playoff hunt as the 2019 season draws to a close. And after this game, they will have solidified their spot even further in the MLS playoff chase. Minnesota United enter the game with a record of 12, 9, and 6, but they've won just 4 of 13 road games this season. Heading into their showdown with LAFC, though, Minnesota United has been on a bit of a downhill trend, including their Open Cup Finals loss to Atlanta. Minnesota had just won one of their last five matches, a one nothing result over what is a pretty bad Colorado Rapids team. Nina, certainly nothing heading into this match indicated that they would be able to handle LAFC in the way that they did. No, the only thing I can think is when you look at how we came out against Minnesota United last season, we played them once at home, once on the road last season, similar to how we're doing now. And last year, LAFC won at home 2-0, but on the road, they won 5-1 against us. Yeah, so we split the games last year. Of course, we've talked about on this day in LAFC history in that 5-1 loss, two of those goals were scored for Minnesota by Christian Ramirez. Their leading goal scorer and most dangerous weapon on the pitch this season has been the enigmatic Darwin Quintero Jr. He really looked out of sorts during the entire match, and you could really see him really demonstrably calling for the ball several times. You can see why he's been in the doghouse just a little bit there in Minnesota. You know, he does lead the club with eight goals, but he scored just one in his last 313 minutes for Minnesota. Liga MX fans no doubt are familiar with Quintero as he featured extensively for Santos and then Club America scoring 67 times in almost 300 Liga MX matches. He is certainly not the only player to watch for. Unfortunately, a player that I was looking forward to seeing, Finnish player Robin Ludd, who's one of their backline stars. He's made quite the impact since joining the squad, but he is out on international team duty. Jan Grigus leads the squad in assists with eight, and Chase Gasper just made MLS's list of the top five players snubbed during the latest call-ups by Greg Burhalter and the U.S. men's national team, but he was nowhere to be found in the starting lineup as well. So really, you're looking at a team missing their best defender, missing a young and up-and-coming kid in Chase Gasper, and I thought we were going to be pretty good, but of course, the Italian in me has to mention a player I certainly had my eye on coming into tonight's match. That is Vito Manone. Minnesota United's keeper Vito 
is from Desio, Italy, and joined Minnesota United this year on loan from English second division side Reading. In his career, Vito Minone has capped 15 times for Arsenal. Yes, that Arsenal. 36 times for Hull City, the same Hull City that brought us Adama Diamande. 67 times for Sunderland, including making two huge penalty saves in their victory over Manchester United in 2014. In fact, Vito Manone was named Sunderland's Player of the Year for the 2013-14 season, and we certainly saw all the makings from Vito Manone in our match against Minnesota this game. He might have been man of the match, if not for one other player that we're going to talk about. But first, I also want to highlight, we don't have a huge history against Minnesota United, so we can look back on what our players have done as they've gone on to other teams and been with other teams against Minnesota United. And Latif Blessing has actually played the most games against Minnesota. He's got three assists against them, so definitely like seeing Latif put out there. Mark Anthony Kay is the next one that stood out to me, playing two games against them with a goal. Our only player, really, besides Atuesta and Wynn, coming in, having scored a goal against Minnesota United. So definitely, as we'll get to it later a great substitution made by Bob but Diego Rossi I gotta mention him because he's played two games against them two full games has had one assist and eight shots no goals so you know he was coming in hopefully looking to finish one yeah we're gonna have to talk about Diego Rossi's performance once we get into the minute by minute recap because as one of the fans that was sitting right behind us mentioned we might have to put Diego on a milk carton to find out where he's been especially against Minnesota United You know, LAFC entered the match unbeaten in their last five. Of course, the one tie coming after four straight wins. LAFC comes into the game, of course, the best in the West and the best in in the the MLS. MLS. That's right. Head to head, like you said, the two teams split the pair they played last year on May 9th. Tyler Miller posted a clean sheet behind goals from Mark Anthony Kay and Edward Atuesta en route to a 2-0 win. A very different story in Minnesota as we lost 5-1 behind two goals from eventual LAFC teammate Christian Ramirez. One last bit of related news for these two teams. Major League Soccer on their official website, MLSsoccer.com, just released an article running down the strength of schedule for the remaining games for every team in the MLS. And Minnesota United, probably because they have two of their final seven games against us, have the toughest schedule remaining of any of the 24 MLS teams. Of course, they've got that another battle looming with LAFC later this month at their place, beautiful Allianz Field. LAFC, however, rank as having the fourth easiest schedule remaining of the 24 teams and certainly many reasons to be optimistic one reason that we could be a little pessimistic coming into this game was the injury report of course our friend Javi Perez out for the season with an ACL tear and Dayon Jakovic suffering from an adductor strain he may have picked up earlier in the week in practice we're gonna have to get Dr. Clapper (laughs) to come explain to us what an adductor strain is if any of you would like to google it it's A-D-D-U-C-T-O-R adductor strain I'm sure if we had the nurse Panda here, she'd be able to explain to us what an adductor strain is. But again, just another moment this weekend where I'm missing Panda. Beaches of Cartagena, Colombia. I don't feel too badly for them, but I do miss them. But the other injury on the injury report is probably the most talked about knock in the short history of LAFC. Of course, Carlos Vela coming out of the game at about the 60th minute against Carson 
with a hamstring injury. He would be, of course, on the injury report and left out of the 18 for this match against Minnesota United. Let's take a look real quick at the starting lineups for both teams. And as would be the problem, Minnesota United comes out in a 5-3-2. That is five players on the back line. They begin with Vito Minone in goal. Ike Opara, which I will actually talk about a little fun fact about Ike Opara at the end of the podcast, on the back line along with Michael Boxall, Brent Kalman, Wilfried Moimbe, and Roman Maitanire. Lawrence Olum, Hassani Dotson, Jan Grigus, Mason Toy, who we are going to talk about in just a little bit, and Darwin Quintero round out the lineup for Minnesota United. Nina, it was a 4-3-3 for LAFC, but that was about all that was familiar with our starting lineup. So starting in goal, we actually had Pablo Cisniega. That's different. Yeah, and then on our defense, of course, Eddie Segura, Walker Zimmerman, Captain Jordan Harvey lining up alongside Tristan Blackman. For our midfields, Latif Blessing, Lee Wynn, and Edward Atuesta. Then starting up top, we had, of course, Adama Diamande, Brian Rodriguez, and Diego Rossi. Yeah, congratulations to B-Rod Raito for getting his first start in his MLS career. It's been a little bit of a difficult go for Brian Over his first two MLS matches, he comes in for what was a potentially controversial substitution until everybody found out about the hamstring injury there by Carlos Vela the first time he takes the pitch for the black and gold. And then here, his first start comes because of that same injury to Carlos Vela. So a little bit of a different lineup here in the 4-3-3. In our 18, Mohamed Elmunir, Mark Anthony K, Danilo Silva, Steven Betashore, Adrian Perez, Josh Perez, and Tyler Miller. Miller. So four changes for LAFC with Pablo Cisniega, Tristan Blackman, Lee Wynn, and Brian Rodriguez. You know, they came out in the yellow kick childhood cancer tops. And again, just absolutely broken up about Joseph Sanchez and his passing. Thought of him as the players came out. It was nice to see his family honored at halftime as well. Despite it being the holiday weekend, the 32-52 was as full-throated, loud, and passionate as we have seen them all season. And I think a lot of that had to do with how much they stood out versus the rest of the stadium. It took a little while for the bank to wake up, but not because of the 32-52. They were as loud as I have heard them all year. So awesome job again by the 32-52. Really not much to talk about through the first 10 minutes of the game. LAFC got the first ball into the box at about the 8-minute mark, but it didn't seem like they were sure of what to do with it. Brian Rodriguez got a touch. Latif got a touch. Diego Rossi got a touch. Everything seemed just a little off to start. Mm -hmm. One thing I also noticed in the first 10 minutes is Minnesota United was already showing a tremendous amount of discipline. They were sitting back. There was no high pressure in any of the attacking third. It was a different style of play. We've seen people park the bus on us before, but they truly sat back. Not even their forwards were truly pressing us. Yeah, and we'll talk about that in the chances created 
later Hi, on in the podcast. That's Schmitty making a little bit of noise, wanting to be a part of our podcast as well. 11th minute and Pablo wandering around the box, made a couple of efforts, never actually getting a lot of the ball, but a great job by Lee Wynn to double back and make the takeaway. You know, we said the first couple of touches there by Brian Rodriguez looked a little ragged, but really... The first good scoring chance of the match, and I believe it might have been our only scoring chance of the game on a through ball like this, was Edward Atuesta with a beautiful through ball to Brian Rodriguez. We have seen the touch on Edward Atuesta's passes all season. A great through ball to Brian Rodriguez, but he didn't get a lot on the shot. Save made, and we didn't know that that would be one of the few offensive chances that would really test Vito Manone over the course of the entire game. Yeah, and that ball came right back out, and you saw win with an unanswered cross right after that. So we were definitely trying to get it in, but we were still trying to figure out how to get around this five-man wall that they had put up. Yeah, and what we'll talk about after the first goal, too, is it became more like a seven- or an eight-man wall a little bit later on. Latif earning a corner there for Brian Rodriguez in the 16th minute. A great effort on the header by Tristan Blackman, and that really seemed to be a point of emphasis as this game went on, trying to get headers into the box. This one by Tristan Blackman blocked away. 20 minutes in, and LAFC really seemed content to possess the ball, and we'll talk about the incredible possession disparity at the end of the wrap-up but they really didn't know how to crack this five-man wall in the back and again as soon as we crossed midfield it became a six or a seven man or even an eight-man wall in the back Edward Atuesta in the 24th minute with a great effort saved again by Manone and that brings up the 25th minute and a tough angle and a beautiful goal from Minnesota United's Mason Toy. It happened off of a save on a shot by Atuesta and a great counter. Nina, this was actually the part where I went up to get up to go to the bathroom, so everybody blamed me for this goal. It was your fault. I take responsibility, everybody. I'm sorry. I I had to pee. And I went up, (laughs) went to the bathroom, I come back, and we're down one nothing. I will take the blame for this first goal from Mason Toy from an impossible angle. But the other thing that this goal served to do is it woke up the rest of Bank of California Mm -hmm. Stadium. We talked about how for the first 25 minutes, it was all the 32-52 and pretty much only the 32-52 that had come to yell and cheer. But this goal woke everybody up. Unfortunately, in the 29th minute, he's just toying with us now. (laughs) That's a terrible pun, but I'm leaving it in anyway. (laughs) I like Mason Toy with a strike from outside the box. You know, even if Pablo Cisniega is a little out of position and playing a little high on his line, that was a perfect shot. I mean, it rattled the back of the net, an absolute strike from Mason Toy. He has his brace. And I don't think I actually mentioned the title of the episode. It's Minnesota Toys with LAFC. It was because of the brace by Mason Toy. Yeah, you saw Pablo definitely getting pulled out of position a lot in this first half. And 
He's still not as seasoned as Tyler. I hate to say it, especially with our backline changing up like this. It's hard for any keeper when your backline changes and you don't know the communication styles as well. But Pablo's been with us for quite some time, and it was just unfortunate to see him getting pulled so far out of position. But fortunately, our defense was doing their best to try and cover him, but he just couldn't make it. Look, we had a player score from a really tough angle to get his first, and we are not going to see many better efforts over the course of our season than that second shot by Mason Toy, wondering why he had so much space to get the shot off, but really an incredible effort there by Mason Toy. And I have to be honest, I was looking through the first half and I thought, God, we really didn't get many good chances. But as I look over my notes to round out the half, 31st minute, a great shot by Harvey blocked out for a corner, which for some reason we played short. 33rd minute, good effort on a corner by Brian Rodriguez, but Eddie Segura now pushing this header just wide. Again, there's the theme of headers in the box. 36th minute, we had the referee playing, thank you so much for the Minnesota United, blocking Lee Wynn's pass through the midfield. Thanks so much. <laughs> Yellow team strikes again. 38th minute, long cross headed wide by Diego Rossi from Brian Rodriguez. 41st minute, a good cross headed wide by Latif Blessing. So as I'm looking at this, it's not like we're not getting opportunities going into the half. It took a great recovery by Walker Zimmerman to disrupt a two-on-one right before the half. And unfortunately, yeah. we sit there down 2 nothing going into the half. This play by Walker, though, we need to highlight this a little bit. That was great defensive play. It was a two-on-one situation. Walker's tracking back, and he doesn't overcommit. You know, as the player comes with the ball, it's really easy, especially as they're coming straight down the center of the field, for Walker to want to go straight at him. But he recognizes that there's a second Minnesota United attacker making the run, and he doesn't overcommit. He waits for the pass, and he's able to disrupt the play and put a stop to this counter. So a 5-3-2 employs five men on the back line. But what we saw was that those three midfielders, wherever that ball went on the left side or on the right side, they would send that midfielder on that side to double the wing, essentially, and really put six or seven in the back and the bus clearly being parked by Minnesota United after the half. Some halftime substitutions, some adjustments for Bob Bradley. Mohamed El Munir coming in for Captain Jordan Harvey. So it'll be Walker Zimmerman taking the armband there from Jordan Harvey. And an interesting substitution, Mark Anthony Kay coming in for Brian Rodriguez. That essentially pushed Latif Blessing up to the forward spot, filling in that role there for Raito. And so what we saw was we needed some better passing there in the midfield. We saw, even though our passing accuracy at halftime was actually well over 80%. It wasn't the quality of passes that we needed through the midfield. I was shocked at some of the end game passing numbers too. When there's such few notes that I can look at one single page in the second half and see all of my notes, you know, it's pretty disappointing the effort that we put in in the second half. We had back-to-back corners in the 51st minute. We had an incredible effort by Latif Blessing. This was really the moment where we thought the momentum started building for LAFC in the 59th minute. A great individual effort where he earned a free kick just outside the box, took on three defenders to earn that kick. Lee Wynn with a great strike on that free kick, put it in the upper quarter of the goal 
but a great save again by Vito Menone. I will say the best save of the match came just after that in the 65th minute. It was indeed the save of the match by LAFC. Great play by Pablo Cisniega on a poor effort defensively. It was a counter off of a shot there by Adama Diamande, but Nina in the 67th minute. They do the Sandmanuel thrill of the match after each game. This one was a nutmeg that Brian Rodriguez did early in the first half. It was which, so beautiful. Well, yeah, it was cool. It was good. But I honestly thought that they could have said the Sandmanuel thrill of the match occurred in the 67th <laughs> minute. It was one of my favorite moments of the match because it provided a moment of levity, a little bit of laughter, where we could kind of release the frustration that we had had over the first almost 70 minutes, thanks to a ball boy. And none of this has to do with the fact that you want a ball boy shirt. No, none of this has to do with the fact that I want one of those pink ball boy shirts. But again, the loudest cheer of the half, there was a ball that was sitting on the field for about 15 seconds, completely away from where the actual ball in play was on the opposite side of the field. You saw the ball boy look over at the ball and go, well, it's just me and the goalkeeper back here on this half of the field. What do I do? He got motioned to go out and retrieve the ball after about 15 seconds of indecision and hesitating. And the entire south end and the entire east end of the field where he was standing erupted in sort of sarcastic cheers that, yay, we finally have something to cheer for here (laughs) in the second half. I was really hoping that LAFC would understand the moment and make that their Sandman well thrill of the match but unfortunately it was not it was a nutmeg by brian rodriguez we had a great cross from mohammed el monir to adama diamande headed wide in the 69th minute and in that same minute we get to play one of our favorite games here mm-hmm. on defenders of the bank name that perez nina name that perez adrian that's right adrian perez of loyola marymount university formerly of indoor soccer out in Ontario, checking in for Tristan Blackman. And Nina, I've got to say, for the last 20, 25 minutes of this game, Adrian Perez, he composed himself quite well, had a he good little really run. Well. But I think we also need to make one point. There's something we found out about our favorite game here on Defenders of the Bank, and that is that there aren't just one, not just two, not just three, but four Perez's. All right, so I found out this is kind of a technicality, right? But Alejandro Guido, now as I understand, and I'm sure if I'm incorrect, I will be corrected on Twitter or on Facebook or on Instagram. And by the way, if you're not following us on Instagram or Facebook, find us at Defenders of the Bank and on Twitter at Defend the Bank. But as I understand, when it comes to Latino surnames, usually you put the father's surname first and the mother's surname second. So imagine my surprise when I was Googling some information about Alejandro Guido when I found out that his full name is Alejandro Eugenio Guido Perez. That's right. If if what I understand correctly, I believe that means his mom's last name is Perez. That's kind of cool. We technically have a fourth Perez on the team, and it took until (laughs) game number 28 for us to realize that. Alejandro Eugenio Guido Perez, that's his full first, middle, and last names. Thought that was pretty cool that we've actually got four Perez's technically on the team. But again, as I understand, and please correct me if I'm wrong, on Instagram 
at Defenders of the Bank. But that means that Guido is usually his father's last name and Perez is his mother's last name. Anyway, we had Adrian Perez checking in for Tristan Blackman III and final substitution in the 69th giggity minute. But in the 72nd, we had Dio staying aggressive. I loved the aggressiveness during the course of this game. He pushes a shot from the top of the box just wide. I loved how aggressive he was staying. 76th minute, Adrian Perez with a great effort, save for a corner. You know, I really thought on that one, that great effort by Adrian Perez. Diego Rossi was right there on the back post. If he was able to get a touch on it, it's 2-1 with about 10 minutes left, and who knows what could happen after that. That changes everything, and he was just half a step off. He was just half a step slow. It was kind of frustrating. Yeah, one minute right after that, Walker Zimmerman heads a ball just over the box that I don't think Vito was going to get to. You know, we really saw the aggressiveness come through, especially after the substitution Mm -hmm. when Adrian Perez checked in. We had Adama Diamande again blast one, a rocket just wide from the top of the box. So we're generating chance after chance after chance. The bus is parked, and we are still trying to pellet that bus with shots. 88th minute, bouncing shot by Diego Rossi, saved by Manone. 90th minute, my guy again, Adrian Perez, a great save on a deflected shot. Lots of commotion around the net. Nothing happening. Nina, we had a yellow right before the end of the match. Yeah, Latif Blessing picks up a yellow in like the last minute of the game, last minute of stoppage time. And it's a questionable yellow right before the final whistle. Yeah, it seemed like he didn't do a whole lot to earn that yellow. And unfortunately, just like that, we now arrive at our wait. What? What? Moment of the podcast. And that is... The MLS regular season unbeaten streak at Bank of California is over. We have suffered our first defeat this season at a regular season match in Major League Soccer and our first defeat in our last 20 regular season MLS matches at the Bank. You know, a lot of things in common with the last streak-breaking loss that we took at Bank of California Stadium Sporting KC last year, I believe it was on August 11th, Sporting Kansas City hands us our first loss at home of that season. You know, what was the score of that game? Two to zero. And the score of this one? Two to zero. That's right. There was one other commonality, and I was pretty surprised to find this out. Sporting Kansas City had a player starting in their back four. They ran a 4-3-3 just like we do now. We actually ran a 4-2-3-1 in that game, I believe, against Sporting Kansas City. But Mm -hmm. when we lost to Sporting Kansas City at home last year, they had a familiar face on the back line. It was Ike Opara starting on the back line for Sporting Kansas City last year. And, of course, one of the five defenders for Minnesota United starting, Ike Opara. An interesting coincidence, if you will, You know, Minnesota was doubling the wing all game, funneling everything through the middle, collapsing the interior. As soon as they scored that first goal, they started to clog the middle, keeping everyone back. You had mentioned it. They weren't even trying to play their forwards forward. And that's that's why they took Darwin Quintero out of the game there, essentially, after halftime that. And he was kind of throwing a tantrum every time he didn't get the ball, seemingly not (laughs) on page with the rest of the team for the game plan that worked so, so well. And look, the final game stats tell exactly none of the story of what happened. If you looked at these stats on paper, you might have thought that LAFC won 2-0, 3-0, 4-0, 5-0. Let's take a look. Possession, 
an incredible 77% of the time, LAFC possess that ball to, of course, only 23 for Minnesota United. Nina, we absolutely dominated them in shots and shots on goal. We absolutely did. LAFC with 23 shots, eight on goal. Minnesota United with only five shots, but four of those on goal. Yeah, good percentage there. 80% of their shots going on goal. And of course, two of those tucked into the back of the net by Mason Toy. Now, this one was a little bit surprising because I thought there were so many times where we tried to force a ball into a window that just wasn't there. But I realized why after the game, we were making so many passes away from the Mm -hmm. opposing net that we were just piling up, quote unquote, accurate passes But almost like the title of our last episode, full of sound and fury signifying nothing, if you just keep passing back and forth to each other, not moving the ball forward, you're going to have a pretty high accuracy rate because Minnesota simply wasn't pressing anybody forward. No, they were playing a very disciplined game. They weren't moving to the ball. They weren't pressuring anything. They were staying parked in their formation. And it takes a lot to do that. you got to give them some credit for being able to not get pulled out of position. Oh, I give them a lot of credit for the way they played. They completely frustrated not just the 11 players on the field and Bob and his coaching staff, but all 22,000 at Bank of California Stadium. LAFC's pass accuracy, 87% pass accuracy for the game. With 811 passes. Yeah, that's right. Minnesota United, 56% pass accuracy on only 242 passes. We out past them 811 to 242 our accuracy 31 points better than theirs our corners talk about not pressing anybody forward oh, man 15 corners by lafc just one corner by minnesota the entire game but one of the key stats chances created i don't know how this stat is determined vince Larosa, alicia rodriguez anybody else out there that knows how this stat is determined please hit us up on instagram at defenders of the bank but a stat called chances created now we outshot them 23 to 5 more shots on goal 77 percent of the possession much better passing accuracy many 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 more corners but how is it that in the chances created category we lost two to one it's simple we didn't hit target we didn't hit the goal you know we passed it around we possessed the ball but unfortunately this game is not one in possession No, and for any of you that know me and my musical taste out there, my favorite musical act of all time was Soundgarden. Unfortunately, the passing of Chris Cornell last year. But Chris Cornell has a line on the song Outshined by Soundgarden. And again, I'm a huge Soundgarden fan. Here's the lyric, and it's exactly how I felt at the end of the game. He put it perfectly in 1991 when he sang... But the story's getting old now. I just looked in the mirror and things aren't looking so good. I'm looking California, but I'm feeling Minnesota. Scarstradamus did not predict a loss to Minnesota United FC. But I've got to say, I thought we would comport ourselves better and put forth a little bit more of an effort than we did in this match. Really disappointed at what happened today. And look, here's the two things we know we can put this match on. Number one, When you take out the MVP of the league, not just the best player on your team, it's going to disrupt things a little bit. And Bob decided to go with four different starters and, of course, not having Carlos Vela available. So we can blame it a little bit on that. But as I sit back and I think about what to attribute this game to, Nina, there's one thing to me that seems abundantly clear. What's that? It's Philly's fault. 
I agree. Philly wasn't there. Philly's in Cartagena, Colombia. Panda wasn't there either, but I'm going to choose to blame Philly and well, not Panda. Panda can't be blamed for anything. No, Panda can't be blamed. Schmitty can't be blamed for anything. But we can blame Philly. We're pretty much going to blame Philly for this one. Everybody, we appreciate you guys, by the way, trying to wake Philly up as we tried to get the password <laughs> for his computer. They were out after a night of partying at their yeah. wedding in Cartagena, Colombia, and I understand that. <laughs> I even texted our buddy Chad, and actually, Chad, you got the password correct, buddy. We just, uh, we had already heard back from Philly at the time, but thank you so much for getting the password correct. He was also asleep. So we are going to attribute this game to blaming Philly. So out there, if you're posting about this, include the hashtag kick childhood cancer and include the hashtag blame Philly or hashtag Philly's fault because we're going to put this one on him and he can't say anything about it right now because he is in Cartagena. <laughs> so we're going to look at the standings in the West and it is a log jam behind LAFC. The gap from second place to eighth place and in eighth place, you get eliminated from the playoff race. The gap to, from second to eighth is just six points, but Portland still has a game in hand. So they could actually close that gap to as little as four points from second to eighth absolutely incredible with minnesota's win they move into third place in the western conference and they knock down carson to that bubble spot a precarious seventh place with portland coming fast and portland having most if not all i think of their remaining games at home remember portland started out their season with 10 straight games on the road and then they ran into LAFC when they tried to open up Providence Park and we handed them a defeat in their first ever home game so Portland a lot of home games coming towards the back end of their season could Carson miss out on the playoffs I hope for so. the second straight season I and mean, we've got to be the kryptonite then at that point if we come into the league and Carson can no longer make the playoffs I hope so look I don't want to root against any other teams during the course of the season I want to focus on our team winning the supporters shield winning the west winning MLS cup and making history but it wouldn't be that bad of a thing if Carson no, doesn't make the not playoffs. at all and if you guys have listened to any of our episodes for center mid chicks I have recently started calling out Sky Blue FC in the NWSL because they are playing that spoiler role this season. I love a good spoiler. Yeah, so spoilers all around. Hopefully Portland can play the spoiler by getting themselves into the playoff chase and knocking Carson out. This is where we're going to do our LAFC Chasing History update. The Chasing History update, this podcast, is very simple. We really didn't do anything at all to advance any of our historical numbers. In fact, we lost two on our goal differential, which now brings it down to a plus 44 on the season, still three points clear of the all-time single-season record. I want to mention one thing. Our goal differential last season was plus 12. So the disparity there, like how much better we've gotten, how much more we're scoring this season, is just incredible. Yeah, it just didn't happen in this game. A supporter Shield update. NYCFC kept pace this weekend, defeating Vancouver 3-1. to 71 points remains their maximum total possible with seven games left on their schedule. They are certainly rounding into form heading into the playoffs. Unfortunately, with our loss tonight, our maximum number of points that we can now achieve this season is 80, which would still be nine better than the record for points in a season. 71 set last year by the New York Red Bulls with 10 points. True. With 10 points over our last six games, we clinched the shield. Well within our grasp, the supporters' shield, something that we should be able to look forward to at the end of the season, 
but we definitely haven't helped ourselves in our last two games, taking just one point out of six possible. Of course, the tie against Carson and now the loss at home against the Loons of Minnesota. In our next match, we can still lock up the Western Conference regular season title, home field advantage throughout the Western Conference playoffs, and a place in the 2020 CONCACAF Champions League with a result in our next game, a tie or a win. Who do we play? Well, let's take a look at the rest of the season by bringing back one of our favorite segments, scheduling with with the the scarf. scarf. That's right. Looking ahead at the schedule, LAFC, six games remaining on their season, five of them happening still in September. We already talked a little bit about the matchup against Orlando City in Orlando on the 7th. Who knows what lineup we will roll out against Orlando City. Again, I would love to see Lamar Batista, Adrian Perez, the ghost of Alejandro Guido. It might even be fun to get Fito Zelaya out there for LAFC. Who knows what we're going to put out there against Orlando on the 7th. Orlando sits four points out of the playoff race, ninth in the East. We follow that up with a showdown of two first place teams and a potential ML. S Cup final preview as we head to Philly, who's been talking a little bit of smack on their Twitter and on their Instagram feed. We head to Philly on the 14th. One thing I just want to remind our Philadelphia Onion fans out there, <laughs> they've played more games than we have and have significantly less points than we do. Be careful about poking the bear, especially when they've been down for a little bit. We will wake up with a fury. So I can't wait to see that match in the beautiful confines of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania on the 14th. We welcome back two old friends in our next two matches. First, Laurent Simon with Toronto on the 21st. And remember, that is MLS's kick childhood cancer night. And then Christian Ramirez with Houston on the 25th. And for our third game in nine days, LAFC will head to beautiful Allianz Field. And I'm not using beautiful sarcastically with that one. Minnesota has a fantastic new stadium out there where Minnesota United FC play. And it'll be the rematch with Minnesota United FC and a chance to avenge this loss. It'll be the black and gold taking on the Wonderwall there in Minnesota. I can't wait to see how we respond And then history being made at the bank in so many ways for our only game in October, where LAFC hosts Colorado in what is the final game in the legendary career of U.S. men's national team keeper Tim Howard. Yeah, that'll be a really special moment, I think. Definitely looking forward to seeing Tim come out there. And not only that, but it's going to be on October 6th, and that's three days after our four-year anniversary. Oh, goodness. All right, bringing that up (laughs) on the podcast. 17 saves in a game for Team USA. Tim Howard, one of the greatest keepers in U.S. men's national team history, and that says a lot because we have had a lot of great keepers. Tim Howard, congratulations on a great career. I hope they substitute you out in the 80th or the 85th so that everybody at Bank of California Stadium can give you the standing ovation that you so clearly deserve. One thing I do love about Tim Howard, and I don't know how many people know this about him, but he actually has Tourette's. And it's an incredible story being able to, you know, keepers are always very vocal, but you watch Tim Howard and he's exceptionally vocal and he's made an incredible career. So I 
do I got to throw that out there. And the other cool thing about Tim Howard is we actually saw him one of the first LAFC events at Union Station downtown LA. Tim Howard came out. Yeah, we did get to see Tim Howard there at one of the first events. That was the Crest unveiling, I believe. It's where they also unveiled Will Farrell as one of our team owners. And with that, we conclude scheduling with the scarf. Episode 57. Oh, Minnesota toys with LAFC at the bank. An unfortunate game in the long season that is Major League Soccer. Don't forget, it is a 34-game season. Things like this are going to happen. But with that, episode 57 comes to a close. Look for the return of Philly next episode as we break down the game at Orlando City FC. Again, who knows what lineup we're going to see. Please don't forget anything and everything that you post this month on social media, whatever it is, please include the hashtag kick childhood cancer to donate one dollar to the children's oncology group foundation part of major league soccer's kick childhood cancer fundraiser initiative don't forget to please follow us on instagram and facebook at defenders of the bank and on twitter at defend the bank and of course please also check out nina along with her co-hosts amy and amanda at center mid chicks on instagram and twitter we cannot wait to get off of this losing streak get back to our winning ways against orlando and you know how we like to end the episode bye bye